This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we went from the sweepers to the sweepies as the New York Mets get swept by the Toronto Blue Jays and take a homestand that looks so promising after the three wins against the Philadelphia Phillies and they flush it down the toilet. And it has created, in my brain, a lot of confusion. I'm very, very confused about this team. I'm sure that most people just think they stink. I think after you lose three straight to the Blue Jays and the offense is inept, I think that most people listening are going to probably scream at the radio or their phone and say, you're a schmuck. They're just not any good. I am deeply, deeply confused about this team. Three games against Philadelphia were, to me, their biggest flaw started to settle down. And it actually continued in the Toronto series. For the most part, they pitched well. For the most part, they pitched okay. But the offense did absolutely nothing highlighted by these three games against the Blue Jays in which they score five runs in three games. And four of those runs came on solo home runs on Sunday afternoon. They get shut out on Friday. They score one measly run on Saturday. And then the four runs they score on Sunday, great. They fought back. They were down in the game. They made it a game. But it all went for naught. And so now as I sit here, 30 and 30, 500 team, my initial reaction is, I don't know what the hell this team is. And maybe that means they're mediocre. Maybe that means they're 500. Maybe that means we're going to do this all season long where they'll have a couple of days and we'll feel really good. And then they'll have a couple of days and we'll feel really, really bad. And maybe this is what we're looking at for the next 102 games. But this was a major, major buzzkill weekend after what they did against Philadelphia after sweeping three games against the Philadelphia Phillies. And here's the truth. When you look at who to blame, it's kind of simple. I know it's not fun to blame everybody. We like to blame one guy. We like to pick one person. We like to boo one person. We like to criticize one person. It's everybody. This lineup over the three games against the Blue Jays, and look, they weren't hitting the lights out against Philadelphia either. But they won games, and they scored enough runs to win three games. So we were able to overlook it. Because, look, you're not going to score six, seven runs every game. But when you look at these three games against Toronto, other than Tommy Pham, who hit two home runs in the Sunday game, and I guess Mark Canna had a couple of good games. Outside of that, let's crush everybody. Want to start with Francisco Lindor, who heard most of the boos? Fine. Even on Sunday, he did get a base hit, which was nice to see. But he struck out three times. And he's hitting 212. 
<laughs> and he's stuck on 40 RBIs. You know, Pete Alonso hit the home run in the sixth inning, but Pete Alonso was very, very quiet this weekend. Outside of the home run, he had one other hit, and it was a single. Want to rip him? Let's go. Jeff McNeil missed the batting champion last year. What the hell's he done? Brandon Nimmo. I thought Brandon Nimmo was a huge culprit because if you go back, and we'll go through all three games, but if you go back to the tone setter of this weekend, I would go back to game one Friday night in the third inning. The New York Mets are set up. They have runners on first and third, if I'm not mistaken, first and third, and nobody out down one nothing in the third, and they have Nimmo, Lindor, and McNeil coming up. The least you could do is come back and tie that game, and Brandon Nimmo, who we all love, swung at the first pitch and popped it up in foul territory, and he was lifeless this weekend. So we can keep going. We can go through every name and criticize certain at-bats, but this was a suck fest offensively from top to bottom. A couple of numbers before we dive deep into Friday night's game, and we got a lot to cover. I'll tell you about a horrible experience I had personally at City Field that hopefully you can learn from. So it's one of those things that's not totally selfish. It's not just me complaining. It's an experience that you could say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I heard what Evan said on the Rico. I'll learn from that. So we'll get to that later on, plus Lindor's handling of the booze and what he had to say, and maybe the Mets are right. Kodai saying it can't pitch on regular rest. Okay, we'll do all that. But let's get to Friday night's game. Is that where I was going to start Friday night's game? Yeah. Justin Verlander on the second pitch of the game <laughs> gives up a home run to George Springer. And this one really annoyed me because it's a Friday night. We have an hour and a half rain delay, which felt like it was unneeded. I got to the game at about 7.10. I met my son and my wife who took the train. They had missed their first train, so they showed up right at 7.10 as well. So I didn't mind the rain delay at first. I was like, okay, I got a chance to settle down. He wants to score the game, get his scorebook ready, want to pick up some dinner. This is perfect. But it turned into an hour and a half, and it felt like it was completely unnecessary because it was barely raining. It was like drizzling, and it was sunny out. And then the other thing that annoyed me is I see that Chris Bassett's wife is in labor. So the human in me says, congratulations. I got no ill will towards Chris Bassett. That's great. Chris Bassett's going to be a dad. I assume again. And the reason I say I assume it's again is because if he was having his first kid, there's no way his wife was going to allow him to pitch a Friday night game against the Mets after an hour and a half rain delay. And then, yeah, when the game's over, I'll fly back up to Toronto and I'll say hi to my kid. Like, if that's his first kid, my first of all, I think if it was any kid I had, there's no way, A, i do it, and my wife would let me. Now, you want to tell me it's the World Series? Okay, different story. We're having a discussion. It's a Friday night against the Mets. Chris Bassett, I'll hand this to him. He's the anti-Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard wanted to avoid the Mets at all costs, and Chris Bassett's like, no, 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 no. I don't care if a baby's popping out. I'm pitching at City Field on this Friday night. But when I saw, hey, he's going to leave after the game, and there was a rain delay, I don't know if you thought this way, Hoff. I figured he's not making the start, and the Mets are going to get a little break because they really don't have anyone to fill in necessarily, and the Mets are going to get an advantage of a bullpen day facing Justin Verlander. When I saw Bassett still pitching when this game started at 840, I was stunned and massively disappointed. Yeah, I was expecting um, him not to either A, get the start or him 
get scuffled early and have to get pulled early because he was distracted. Instead, he was the exact opposite, and he basically pimped the hell out of us. <laughs> oh, my God. He, he, he really was tremendous. I'll hand it to him. Verlander, and let's start with Verlander, and then we'll rip the offense because there are some positives to discuss from this weekend. After he gives up the home run to Springer, which was a horrible tone setter because after you wait for an hour and a half, and it's a huge crowd, packed crowd, it's firework night. I got my son next to me with a scorecard for the second pitch of the game to be deposited over the left center field fence is an absolute buzzkill. But to Verlander's credit, he got through the rest of the first. He pitched a one, two, three second. He got through the third. He never dominated this game. You know, usually Verlander will get into his trouble early and then he'll lock it down and start to cruise. He never actually cruised. That second inning, that one, two, three inning in the second, was actually the only one, two, three inning he pitched. And his pitch count was expanding early on. So I certainly got the feeling, wow, he's not really going to be able to go that deep into this game. You know, maybe he'll give us five or six. Gets through the fourth after a leadoff walk. Gets a nice, nicely turned double play by Pete. Gets out of the fifth. And this is where I think things are interesting for Buck. He's at 87 pitches through five. Should he start the sixth inning? Yeah, I don't think 87 is a crazy number. But I'm thinking he's going to have to be economical to get through this sixth inning. And you are facing the heart of the order. He gives up a leadoff infield single to Bo Bichette, and then he walks Vlad Guerrero. So now the pitch count is at, I'd say it's like 96 with two on and nobody out. How the hell is he getting through this inning unless he gets a big double play? Strikes out Brandon Belt, a long at-bat. Now his pitch count's over 100. Strikes out Matt Chapman. Pitch count's definitely over 100, and he can't get Whit Merrifield out because he gets an infield hit. 111 pitches, bases loaded, two outs, Dalton Varsho coming up. And I loved, I got to tell you, I know it's only his sixth start of the season, and he's a senior citizen, and he's 40 years old, and you don't want him to wear down in October. Well, guess what? You got to get to October. Yeah, there's no guarantee there's going to be freaking October. I love the fact he let him stay in the game to face Varsho. 111 pitches, bases loaded two out, because think about it. Who is he going to if he takes Verlander out of this game? I guess Brooks Raley's an option, a guy he never used in this game, so maybe not. Dominic Leone, who we ended up going to in the seventh inning. There really isn't a good option other than letting Verlander finish the job. And I think Leon was the guy warming up, if memory serves correct. And Verlander battles Varsho and gets him out at 117 pitches, which in 2023 world is an incredibly high number, an incredibly high number. So I commend Buck for letting Verlander finish his job, six innings job. I commend Verlander for somehow fighting through it and keeping the Mets in the game. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Because while all this was going on, the Met offense did nothing. 
And I mentioned this briefly before the real moment in this game. And it turned out to be the, the tone setter for the entire weekend because over the weekend, the Mets would take 19 at bats with runners in scoring position, 19 over three games, which is not a crazy number. It's about six a game. And they went an ungodly 0 for 19. Little did I know on Friday that when they had the top of the order up with first and third and nobody out, that would be the real tone setter for that 0 for 19. And remember how it sets up. Mark Canna gets a hit, picking up right where he left off from the Philly series. Francisco Alvarez hits a ground ball to first base, and Vladimir Guerrero can't make the play. Makes a bad play, and then Alvarez does this great job of getting to first base, kind of skimming away from the tag. So you're set up with first and third, nobody out, and the top of the order coming up. At the minimum, you got to tie this game. So let's take your pick on who you want to destroy for this. Brandon Nimmo for swinging at the first pitch and hitting a foul pop-up. That's my option, by the way. Number two is Lindor, who has been in this just massive batting slump. He strikes out looking, and he struck out looking a lot, it seemed, this weekend. And then Jeff McNeil, who has a chance to clean up the entire mess, hits a foul pop-up. It was such a meek way to go out when you got Bassett on the ropes early with first and third nobody out. And from that point, the Mets never really threatened again. They, They never did. Bassett was in complete control. He barely broke a sweat. He didn't throw a lot of pitches. He did get one incredible play by Matt Chapman. Mark Canna hit a line drive in the fifth inning, and Chapman made this headlong dive and made this incredible play. And Bassett dominated, and they got Chris Bassett to pitch into the eighth inning. (laughs) So hour and a half delay as he's, you know, going to eventually board a plane to see his kid being born. And then he pitches into the eighth inning, which isn't even that common. And John Schneider takes him out with two outs in the eighth inning, up one nothing, and he goes to Tim Miza. And then we get the situation that Pete Hoffman has been fearing for months and months and months. one nothing game, bottom of the eighth inning, and Brandon Nimmo strikes out on a pitch clock violation. And we saw a few of these this weekend. We saw a walk on a pitch clock violation. We saw a couple of strikeouts on a pitch clock violation. We saw a non-pitch clock violation when there should have been a pitch clock violation. I think it was when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. grounded out on Saturday. Uh, So we saw a lot of that this weekend. I know that really pissed you off, off, right? Annoyed you? Oh, that was, uh, I mean, that was my worst nightmare come true, like you said. And my biggest frustration is it almost seemed like you were saying, like, they're going to figure it out. And I've seen so many pitchers and catchers and batters use a timeout, use things to their advantage. And so I was like, you know what? Maybe Evan's right. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> in, the, in one of the biggest moments in the game, there it is, right front center, Brandon Nemo. It, it did seem, though, for weeks and weeks and weeks, we never saw anything. Like, this was really the first time and it all happened in the course of three days where we saw so many of these violations that turned into a walk, a strikeout. Uh, the one that wasn't called with Vladimir, it seems like for weeks, maybe even months, we never really had anything with it. Now, it just was very, very quiet. You almost forgot about the pitch clock for a while. Well, well, that's because, like you said, like and Francisco Alvarez has been really good at this. The pitchers have been good at this, like, you know, basically stepping off the mound. Yes. They're taking, using their timeouts wisely, and that was good. But again, it just seemed like it even came up on Brendan Nimmo, the, the importance of the situation 
it's almost like he forgot where he was for a second. He didn't. He was a tick off of getting in the box. You know, I got to tell you, what what annoyed me less was that there was nobody on base. And I think watching this game, there was no sign anything was going to happen. There was no sign that Nimmo, who had fouled out in the third inning, who had struck out in the first inning, he hit the ball well in the sixth inning. There was no sign like he was going to rip a triple or anything or hit a home run there, I say, to tie the game. So I makes yeah, me feel a little bit better. But but we just okay. So here's the thing. This is why I disagree with you though, is because Bassett's out. They couldn't touch him, and Nimmo has been doing fantastic about against lefties, which they brought in Miza. And it's like, oh, right. perfect. He's gonna find a way to get up. This is the moment that we've actually we got past the starting pitcher. We got it. We got to the bullpen. We got the situation we want. We we pulled a. Uh, uh, when Buck got out smarter with the Vogelback situation with Tampa right. Bay, we 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 crushed Snyder on this. We got what we wanted, and it failed. Yeah, the probably was going to fail anyway. But I, I see what you're saying. I, I want to go back one inning earlier because I thought this was interesting, and I'll probably get a lot of crap for saying this, but it went through my mind. In the seventh inning, the Mets got a two out single by Starling Marte. He promptly stole second base, so they were set up with a man on base, two outs in the seventh. Bassett's still on the mound, and he was dominating. And Mark Vientos came to the plate. Mark Vientos got the start at DH. He started on Friday. He started on Sunday. He had struck out in the two previous at-bats meekly. He struck out on three pitches in the second inning looking. He struck out swinging in the fifth inning. He looked completely overmatched by Chris Bassett. And I gave it a serious thought. I got to tell you, I gave, because, and I said this on the last Rico, I'm about winning. I'm about what gives the team the best chance to win. It's not just about playing young players because I just want to see what they got. Like a part of why we want to see what they got is because we think they give the Mets the best chance to win. So in the seventh inning, after Vientos looked as bad as he did against Bassett and he's facing him for a third time, and now you're set up with a man on base and eventually a runner on second base when Marte stole second, I thought about the bench. I thought about, hey, is this possibly a good time to pinch it for Vientos. You have Daniel Vogel back on the bench. You've got Nito, who's not an option. Tommy Pham, Eduardo Escobar. I think what scared me off about it was, do you have confidence in any of those guys? And the answer is no. Now, Vogelback ended up having a good Saturday, which we'll get to, but there was no sign of, hey, let me go to Vogelback in the seventh inning with a man on base. And I know that would have driven everybody nuts like, that would have been the biggest thing out of Friday. Like, can you believe Buck pinch it for Vientos with Vogelback? I cannot be the only one, though, that thought about it. Because Vientos looked miserable in those first two at-bats. He lets him hit. He grounds out. So this was one of my first guesses where it's a thought. A thought of, hey, do I have a better option on my bench? Now, maybe Escobar is the answer, even though he's a better right-hand hitter than left. Maybe that. Maybe you're thinking about Escobar. So I'm not saying it has to be Daniel Vogelback. Really, it's one of two guys. You're either sending up Vogelback or you're sending up Escobar to pinch it or you're letting Vientos hit. But I thought Vientos looked so bad in those two at-bats, I thought about it. That's just me. So well, kill me if you want. Well, that's why you got to let Vientos get the bats. We saw this. Now, listen, I'm not saying that Alvarez and Vientos are the same type of player, but we saw Alvarez early on scuffle in these same spots. And Vientos just hasn't had the opportunities. So yeah. you give him those opportunities, and eventually you hope it's going to start working out. Yeah. More at-bats against the tough righty like Chris Bassett that if it doesn't pay off in this game, it pays off down the road. 
Now, before I get to the second game of this series, obviously it was a lifeless 3-0 loss. They gave up the two runs in the ninth inning when uh, Jeff Brigham came in and gave up the home run of our show. Um, I know one pushback one could have about this was, it's only one nothing. Why not go to one of your better relievers? Why not go to David Robertson or Adam Adovino? I think part of the problem with this is the Mets have so few relievers that you can trust. It's not a long list. It's really David Robertson. But yeah, Adam Adovino, you have higher on your trust chart than Jeff Brigham. And I totally get that. But I think as a manager, you have to weigh the pros and the cons. If you use Robertson and he keeps it at one nothing, and you don't score a run, you've almost used one of your big bullets. And now while you may use Robertson on Saturday, you may not be able to use him as long. Or maybe you don't use him on Saturday because it would have been three out of four games, and now he's not available. So I think it's one of those tricky spots as a manager where you want to win that game, but how does it impact you on Saturday, Sunday? I was pissed in the moment. When Varsho hit that bomb, especially on a 3-0 pitch, a cookie right down the middle. But then the Mets go out the ninth and they don't score any runs. They got shut out. So if he had used Adovino or Robertson and he had kept the game at one nothing, I hate to tell you this, but everything probably ends up the same. I don't think all of a sudden the Lindor fly ball in the ninth that went to the warning track goes a few more feet. And it's a 1-1 game. It's probably the same crap. 